Cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys who use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, October 8th, 2013. So I'm becoming convinced that some seeker-driven guys have stopped preaching the Bible altogether so that way they don't have to worry about me exposing their Bible twisting. (laughs) It's a very clever defensive strategy if you think about it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. Now, the the crazy things run the gambit, okay? They run the gambit from those who read a biblical text and... Well, they're not properly trained to exegete it, and as a result of it, they don't know how to properly find the core, uh, the, the core thread to pull on in the middle of uh, in the middle of a text. As a result of it, they inevitably mess it up. But what I've noticed is is that those those folks who actually make a concerted effort to exegete the biblical passages in so many quarters of Christianity today, uh, those guys don't exist. Um, we have so many of these ripped out of context verses that, um, you know, to say that they're mishandling a biblical text um, you know, assumes that they're actually trying to handle a biblical text. And I don't think that many of them are anymore, which is a very dangerous thing if you think about it. But um, and then, you know, you go from, you know, those who mishandle biblical texts to those who rip verses out of context to those who are getting direct revelations and uh, and they're speaking utter nonsense. And it, it's clear that, um, you know, so many people in the church, the, the one thing they will not tolerate, the one thing they will not sit through is somebody who will open up the Bible and actually teach it, point out their sin comfort them with the gospel, show Jesus in the biblical passage that they're working through, regardless of the uh, if it's Old or New Testament. That, that's the one thing they're really not, for the most part, interested in. Um, the, the themes are reoccurring, and, oh man, 
<clears throat> one of the things I'm frustrated with, and, and you know, I'll, I'll talk about my frustra- frustration right now, is that so many of the seeker-driven sermons right now are identical. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I have the world's largest co- uh, collection of the worst sermons ever. Um, you know, more than two terabytes on uh, on a hard, on an external hard drive here in the studio. And um, what I've noticed is is that the current crop of seeker driven sermons are almost identical. It's as if these guys sent around some kind of circular memo and said, "Hey, uh, in f- in the fall." You either preach on relationships or dream destiny. It's one or the other, and it's they're they're all doing it. They are all. It's just bizarre. It's absolutely crazy. And so, um, I, I, I yesterday I switched it up. I went to the emergent movement, and um, yeah, Suzanne Castle. Uh, and the reason I did that is because I needed some variety. It's this is this whole situation currently is like just beyond bizarre. I mean, it, it just makes you wonder what's coming next. But the the recurring theme in all of this, if you were to kind of like peel back and what's the basic premise? What's the basic premise behind so much seeker driven preaching and so much of the dreams and vision stuff that we hear? Because I, I see so much overlap between the dreams and visions, Patricia King gang and the seeker driven movement um, and, uh, and and the kind of the word of faith movement. They're all kind of mold, melding together into the same thing. And uh, the constant overlap is that this the basic presupposition uh, of their thinking when it comes to the Bible is the Bible's about me, that the Bible is somehow revealing to me a pattern that I need to employ. You know, so I look at the heroes of the Old Testament and I try to figure out how they did what they did because, of course, I'm called to some major dream destiny just like they are. Therefore, um, this is you know what the Bible is about, and then so to add into the mix the uh, the dreams vision folk, and you know you have a reinforcing of that message from the charismatic point of view, and uh, the reinforcing of the message really has to do with um, you know God's calling you to something you know huge ginormous. You're gonna rock the world at the you know when you're dead, people are gonna talk about you. They're gonna write books about you, and and you're gonna have pages written about you in the history uh, books. That's kind of the basic premise behind it. And so it's all designed to tell you how important you are. Yeah, that's the primary message. You are important. You've got to, you you know, so we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to learn how to make you into the person the the the, the earth shattering history making you know destiny dream person that God has called you to be, and I'm thinking you know as a student of history, I mean I, my minor my my undergraduate minor is in history, and one of the things I've noticed about history is that few of the people who've ever lived actually have anything written about them. Few, I mean, you think of the billions and billions of people who've lived on planet Earth. You know, when you go into the, you know, into the ancient world, how many of them do we really know their name? Uh, yeah, not that many. Uh, few, very few. And, and yet, you know, this constant message that we're hearing from the seeker-driven folks, the uh, dream destiny, dr- uh, vision, visionary dreamer stuff, 
you know, to the Word of Faith movement is that, you know, you're going to rock the world. You're going to change the world. You're going to do this. You're going to be the history maker. You know, you're going to shake the planet. You're going to put a dent in the universe. Well, I mean, with really, of the tens and tens of thousands of people in the seeker-driven movement, you know, they're all going to shake the universe and have, you know, history stuff written about them. Really? You think so? I don't think so at all. I think they're being sold a bill of goods. You know, I... I think about, you know, at times, you know, try to figure out, you know, what's a good metaphor to come up with here. It's like, um, you know, it's it's like, you know, that the calf, you know, that's, you know, being fed all of this grain and primped and pampered and and, you know, and and all the while the, the calf is thinking, man, I've got it easy, man. I look at oh man, I'm eating the best that there is. Look, at they're feeding me corn, you know, they're uh, the other cows are eating, you know, grass and stuff and hay. But no, me, look at me. I'm they're feeding me corn and some of the best grains ever. I mean. Oh, man, I must really be special. And then you come to find out that, you know, yeah, they were fattening that thing up in order to, to roast it. Yeah, I, that's what I feel like is going on with all of these messages. People are having their egos fattened up. All the while, the fires of hell are being heated up, you know, and they're getting ready to, you know, to you know be basically slaughtered and then barbecued. <clears throat> yeah, I apologize. I know that's kind of a graphic picture, but, um, you know, so... Part of the reason why I do fighting for the faith, and in fact, one of the main reasons I do fighting for the faith, is to throw out a lifeline to people who are caught up in this stuff. Um, you know, it, 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 this deception is run; it's so widespread. The deception is so widespread, and there's so many people who are buying into this, and so many fortunes being made by uh, false teachers. It's ridiculous, but. You know, all of this stuff is going on, and, you know, I'm thinking we've got to find a way to reach out to them. So if you know anybody who's buying into this stuff, have them listen to Fighting for the Faith. You know, send them over to the podcast and explain to them that this is going to be rough going for the first few weeks. In fact, if you're a new listener uh, to Fighting for the Faith, you got to give it a few weeks. you got to give it a few weeks um, to, you know, to kind of get into the rhythm of what's going on because – the, on a first listen, if you're caught up in listening to these types of preachers and teachers, well, um, this program is going to be a rude awakening, so much so that you're going to think I'm completely bonkers. That, you know, that Rosebro, that pirate Christian, he is such a close-minded hater. And, you know, no, I'm not a hater. Actually, I love you so much. I'm trying to reach out to you to yank you out of the fire because you have no idea just how much the wool has been pulled over your eyes. I'm trying to peel back the wool so that you can see what's really going on. Anyway, so you get what I'm saying. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. You know, you can kind of pick out the themes from the monologue today. But um, we're going to start off with we're going to start off with a uh, Patricia Ga- uh, Ki- Patricia King, Patricia Gang Patricia King Gang update and uh, listen to um, Matt Sorger who recently uh, <clears throat> gave a lecture at one of Patricia King's uh, you know you know experiencing the supernatural conferences and um, it, it, you're, what you're going to hear is absolute pablum and nonsense. With the basic presupposition, with the basic presupposition is, oh, man, you are just so important. Yes, you are so, so important. 
And then what we'll do, you know, when you hear the, you know, and you, what, you're, what you're really going to hear is not anything that has to do with what the Bible says, but I, I'm really thinking it. This is the kind of stuff to boost your ego, make you feel so good and so important, while all the while, you know, the demons are, are you know, basically stoking the fires of hell and are getting ready to slaughter you. And um, <clears throat> you, you get what I'm saying. That's how the deception runs. And then what we'll do is we'll take a break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to be listening to... Uh, John Paul Jackson, this is the guy who, you know, we recently uh, featured uh, John Paul Jackson here at Fighting for the Faith and him talking about the, you know, the, the, the Jezebel spirit. And uh, we're going to be listening to him um, being interviewed, basically doing dream interpretation. And my question is, how is this, uh, number one, supposed to really help me, you know, build me up in, you know, sound doctrine and a proper understanding of God and things like that. But how is this any different, though, than fortune telling? It, it sounds like fortune telling to me, but, you know, maybe I'm just being too closed minded and being a hater kind of thing. But I see it as a supreme distraction. So we'll be listening to a segment uh, where um, uh, John Paul Jackson, you know, appeared on a show on Daystar doing dream interpretations, and it sounds like basically fortune-telling to me. And then after that fortune-telling thing, what we'll do is we'll do something with, you know, I try to mix it up a little bit today here. Do something a little bit different. We're going to be listening to a uh, Dr. Gloria White Hammond, and uh, she recently spoke at a, a, at a conference. And um, we're going to take a look at her handling of a biblical text from the book of Numbers. And the name of her message is, How Big Is Your Butt?, yeah, that's yeah. I know, I know. It's it's ridiculous. It's actually quite blasphemous. But <clears throat> what I want to do, not get hung up on her stupid little hook, uh, you know, to kind of grab people's attention, but instead take a closer look at what she's doing with the biblical text in order to show you how to use the concept, the hermeneutical concept of scripture interprets scripture, so that you can. Uh, protect yourself from folks who twist the Bible this way. And it's weird because, you know, she uses more scripture in this conference lecture than uh, most seeker-driven pastors give us in more than a month, like two months. You know, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And so, and then in hour number two, we're going to be going to Audacious Church out there in Manchester in the UK. And um, the name of the <clears throat> sermon we're going to be listening to, kind of reinforcing this message, um, you know, it's, it, it's going to be preached by Sophia Barrett. Notice all the female pastrixes now that uh, are the ones giving the messages today in evangelicalism. And the name of the sermon, if you can call it that, is entitled, I Am Significant. I Am Significant. Whew, man, there's something really, really wrong with the focus of a message named I Am Significant, especially uh, being preached and taught within a church that calls itself Christian. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, you know, I recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground to cover. And uh, since we're starting off with a Patricia King gang update, that requires me to do this. So um, are you ready for there to be no more delay in your life? Yeah. Are you ready for, you know, the change of a prophetic season of significance and stuff like that? Well, this is your day. We're going to be listening to Matt Sorger um, delivering a lecture at uh, one of Patricia King's recently held conferences. And so without any further ado, I'll let Matt Sorger explain what it is that we are going to be hearing today from him. 
But we're not going to be hearing about Jesus. No, no. We're going to be talking about how important you really are. Here we go. Hi, this is Matt Sauger, and I want to welcome you to today's program of Power for Life. I've got a prophetic word for you today. Your life, your season, is about to take a drastic change. Everything that has tried to hold you up in a season of delay, the anointing of God, the purpose of God. Everything that's been trying to hold me up in a season of delay. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So things are going to dramatically change. Now, here's my question. I mean, you know, notice that these messages, that they're all one size fits all. I mean... You know, so you could have 10,000 people watching this video, Um, you know, a thousand people who heard his lecture, but it's one size fits all. Everybody there apparently has been suffering from a season of delay and their season is about to change. Yeah, that's the thing about these kinds of so-called prophetic visions and ideas regarding how important I am. Um, I'm not, and you know, and so everybody sitting there is thinking, "Oh, well, this is about time God recognized how important I was, and and that you know, I, I need a good season change in my life, you know, because I feel like I haven't quite yet achieved my dream destiny." You know, we continue, though. The destiny of God is breaking forth in your life today, and there is going to be a whole new level of release that you walk into in your destiny in God. So let's go into the... A whole new level of release. I mean, I haven't even experienced level one of release. I mean, a whole new level? I'm just going to just skip, you know, like the lower levels and jump right to a higher level. Okay. Word of the Lord today as your life and season is shifted into a time of acceleration. My, it's, I'm, it's shifted into a time of acceleration, like the Indianapolis 500 or something. I, I, I mean, this is utter nonsense. But we continue. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're having fun today. How many are hungry for more of God today? How many are ready to shift to a new level today? I tell you, there's a there's an atmosphere of breakthrough that that is being released over your life. I want you to get ready to break. An atmosphere of breakthrough being released over your life. Ooh, wow, <laughs> it sounds impressive, doesn't it? What does it mean? <laughs> an atmosphere. Um, I, I'm raw. A breakthrough of release is going to be. Yeah, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. You know to a whole new dimension of the manifestation of God's glory in your life this morning. Whew. Again, sounds important. Um, but what does it mean? I mean, I don't see any of this being talked about in Scripture. I mean, but, I mean, aside from that, I mean, the obvious, I mean, none of this is talked about in the Bible. Um, but, you know, add to this little mix here is this idea that um, th- these sentences don't make any sense. This is gobbledygook. It's like doublespeak, you know? I want to honor Patricia King and her whole team. Can we just got can we just thank the Lord for Patricia and her Are you on drugs? You want to do what? Her husband Ron and their whole team. She's one of my favorite people on planet Earth. And I just love her so much because she's so grounded and so solid and so much integrity, uh, but is so hungry for God and, and, and goes after everything that God has. Isn't that awesome? 
No, she doesn't. She doesn't go after his word, rightly divided. I mean, she goes after the latest false winds of doctrine blowing in the air and gets blown to and fro like a ship without a rudder. Hallelujah. Woohoo. <laughs> now, today. <laughs> Today is not just going to be information for you. I mean, how many of you have come here because you want an encounter with God? I feel Well, if that's what you went there for, you might want to find a different venue. I don't think you're going to. You're probably going to have an encounter with the demonic. The Lord is going to release an encounter for you today, uh, an impartation for you today. There's going to be a prophetic word that comes forth over your life today that is going to shift your season. Now, notice the presupposition. The presupposition is just how important you are. That's going to be a shift in your season. I mean, it, the, you're, you're going to take, because you are so important. I mean, if the kingdom of God probably can't even operate without you. And so, yeah, there's got to be a shift here. And it's, it's going to be important because you, you're that important. That's really the, the, the premise behind all this. So, you know, you feel your spiritual ego just being puffed up like a puffer fish or something. You know, we continue. I declare over you today, your season is changing. Oh, Lord Jesus. Yeah, but what if my season's a good one right now? You say it's going to change. I mean, you think about the, you know, four seasons right now. Um, you know, there's, so you got summer and, and, and fall and winter. I mean, what if you're in the summer season right now and apparently your season's going to change? I mean, that means you got winter ahead. That, I don't know if I want my season to change. Yeah, by the way, that's not the biblical uh, speaking in tongues. That's a false manifestation of the spirit right there. <laughs> yeah. Woo. <laughs> that David Hogan anointing is still kind of lingering up here. <laughs> oh, now look, God is moving. God is on the move. We, we, we've been caught up in a whirlwind of the glory um, just in the last several last month or so, we've been uh, in Israel, Australia, Ireland, all throughout the U.S., and we've been seeing God pour out His glory in extravagant ways. So the Lord is about to blow the roof off of your life today. I'm telling you, I believe in the corporate anointing. I believe in that breaker anointing in an atmosphere like this, that it can literally shift something over your life. It can bring you into a place that you were not before. Because, of course, you are so important. God wants to just take you higher and higher. Some of you are about to cross over into your inheritance. Yeah, if that's true, that means you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, because when, when Christians talk about their inheritance, it has nothing to do with the here and now. All of this is temporal. It's temporary. Our inheritance is with Christ in heaven. So if he's saying some of you are going to cross over into your inheritance, if he understood his Bible, then he'd understood. He's just said that a whole bunch of these people are going to be, you know, assuming room temperature and put in little coffins and, and you know, buried in the ground. Hey, hey. You're about to cross over into the manifestation of your God-given inheritance today. 
And there they are cheering. I mean, this church is packed out. There they are cheering. Oh, this is great. Huzzah. Wow, it's about time. And whoo, and all this kind of stuff. And none of it makes any biblical sense. Um, and then, oh, they're, they're, like, they're like that calf being fattened up for a barbecue. Now, I want you to get ready because your season is about to take a drastic change today. What you have been walking in, what you have been living in, God's anointing, glory, and power is about to break through to a whole new dimension in your life. When you receive the prophetic word, It goes forth into activation in your life. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about, well, let's just see where the wind of God blows, okay? How many like just to follow the wind of the Holy Ghost? We're going to follow the wind of the Holy Ghost. And I want to talk to you about living out of, living out of the throne room, living out of the third heaven. Living out of the third heaven, living out of the throne room. And uh, what does that sentence even mean? If, if God wanted us to, quote, live out of the throne room, wouldn't his word explain all this? Why do we need Matt Sorger to come along and explain this to us? Wouldn't God have explained this to us in his word? Prophetically, I, f- I want to start by just decreeing a prophetic word over you today from Matthew chapter 21. You see, Jesus was about to make his triumphal entry. And he says to his disciples in Matthew 21, he says, you're going to go and you're going to find this donkey and this donkey is going to be tied up. And I want you to say to the owner of the donkey, loose that donkey and let that donkey go without delay because the Lord has need of it. If they, if they ask you why, if he asks you why, just say the Lord has need of that donkey. So the disciples went, they found the donkey tied up. And some of you have been like that donkey tied up. Some of you have been in this place of delay, in this place of holding, in this holding. Really? So the whole thing about the donkey was actually the donkey is a type and shadow of me. And Jesus is going to ride me like a donkey. Oh no, this is ridiculous. Where you've had the promise of God, you've had the prophetic word of God, and you're saying to yourself, when God, when, when is my breakthrough? How God, how, how is this going to happen? And you've been like that donkey sitting there talking. Yeah, by the way, um, the, <clears throat> the whole thing about the cold, the photo, full, you know, the, the, the donkey, you know, the cold cult the foal of a donkey that actually fulfills a messianic prophecy and points us to the fact that jesus is none other than the promised messiah who is god in human flesh the whole point of jesus's triumphal entry is he's about ready to go into he's going into jerusalem and a week later he is going to die for the sins of the world and so he picks out the donkey and says you're the donkey because apparently that poor donkey has been had been sitting there going Oh, when is God going to finally open up a season for me to finally be used mightily by him? This is preposterous. And it misses the whole point of that text, don't you think? Get up waiting for your moment. 
Well, I'm declaring over you today, your moment of destiny has arrived. And the Lord said to them, loose that donkey and let that donkey go without delay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I declare over every area of your life that has been held up in a pattern of delay. Oh, so you're going to declare this now. You think you could just, you know, declare things and they'll come into existence? That's ridiculous. By the way, there's a huge difference between Christian prayer and these declarations and affirmations. Christian prayer always humbly petitions God and asks him of his mercy and grace and power to meet our needs to heal us when we're sick, to protect us when we travel and things like that. But these folks, they don't humble themselves at all. They exalt themselves and decree and declare and affirm, I'm the head and not the tail, and I'm this this and the that, and I'm a son of the king or a princess in the kingdom, and da-da-da-da. And so, yeah, um, no, Christian prayer is not decreeing, declaring, affirming or anything. Christian prayer sounds like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what Christian prayer sounds like. And it's done humbly. It's done humbly. Knowing that God is our Heavenly Father. He is the King of the universe, the Creator, our Redeemer, the one who rescued us. This nonsense builds up your ego and basically teaches you that you step into your destiny, you take charge, you decree, you declare, and just call down the... And see, God's up there in heaven looking at you and your arrogance, non-humility, impenitence, and goes, oh, wow, look at that audacious faith. That person really is bold and audacious to decree and declare the things that I've said. So therefore, I'm going to see their faith and I'm going to bless them. And, 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 you know, and, and who is the person who becomes the God in that situation? You do. But humble Christian prayer always recognizes that humans are creations that we humbly come before God to ask him to meet our needs. And when we ask him to meet our needs, we're not decreeing and declaring. We're asking. Sometimes we're begging. Sometimes we're petitioning. But this, what you're hearing, this is nonsense. Utter and complete nonsense. And like I said, it's, I think it's to fatten up the calf, <clears throat> to prepare it you know, to be a tasty meal for the barbecue. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, <clears throat> Christian fortune telling? Yeah, we'll see what that's all about. And then we'll also do an extended time of listening to uh, How Big Is Your Butt? message. Yeah, no kidding. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
When he asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? Jesus wasn't looking for affirmation. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. It's a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, let's see what we have here. 
Oh, yay. I've always wanted... It's a Star Trek uniform, but it's red. What are you trying to say? It was the only colored wool fabric I had. Try it on. It's, uh, really itchy. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If your favorite pastor or major teacher is telling you how important you are and, you know, it's all about you being the bee's knees, you're not really hearing the message of the gospel. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website. That's right. It's a partnership. You can visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And, of course, if you'd like to spend specify the amount that you would like to contribute. You could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do the work that we are doing here without it. Oh, and by the way, we're still in the middle of our fall bake sale. If you haven't picked up your 2013 Pirate Christian Radio t-shirt yet, um, and you can do so by visiting piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale. And uh, pick up your 2013 Pirate Christian Radio t-shirt to help us uh, make up for the summer slump in our finances. So, um, all right, moving along. A little blast of the past there. Moody Blues, I had dreamed last night. Well, we're talking about dream interpretation, so I, I needed to come up with some kind of music, right? And you told me we had the power. And you told me this was the hour that you don't know. Calling, calling my name. Do 
That's about enough of that I can handle. <laughs> Man, that takes me way back. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to be listening to is a portion of a program. Um, what is the name of this program? Johnny something. It, it, it's a Johnny Table Talk. And we're going to be listening to you know the opening to this program uh, with John Paul Jackson showing up on the program talking about dream interpretation. And I cannot qu- qualitatively tell the difference between this and kind of Kind of Christian sanctified fortune telling, but you know, I'll let you correct me if I'm wrong on this. But uh, so here's the uh, introduction to the program. This uh, program uh, it appears on Daystar. So uh, here we go. What we remember in dreams is particularly germane to the very focus of what the dream is about. John Paul Jackson is back to talk about your dreams. Whenever God gives us this type of a test, it's because there's something greater in life that we have been called to do. Don't miss these powerful interpretations. When we change the way we think, we suddenly are prepared for our purpose or our destiny. The conversation. See, there it is again. The major premise behind all of this stuff is that you you have some secret God-given dream destiny purpose thing that you're supposed to achieve. You are so important. It is now even showing up as like Christian fortune telling. But we continue. Starts now. Real friends, loving, laughing, and learning together. Sharing stories, one life at a time. So grab a seat. Welcome to Joni Table Talk. Sorry, it's Joni. Well, they come in the middle of the night, those visions that fill our sleeping minds. Some are strange, some are exotic, and some are so vivid, they seem real. Today, we're once again taking a look at dreams to help find their deeper meaning. Joining me around the table is Dorothy Newton. How are you? Great, great. So happy to be here. It's always good to have you. Do you dream? I used to. Yeah. They weren't good. Oh, really? But now they're sweet dreams. Okay. So I don't know what was the <laughs> shift. I think probably the abuse of marriage. Yeah, we'll talk but. a little bit about that. And Rebecca Lamb, my youngest, yes. how are you? I'm doing great. Do you dream? All the time. I know you do. You do. You, you know this because we talk about we it. We do. And you love it when John Paul comes because you're like, Mom, Every what does that dream time. mean? Yes, yes. Every time. Cindy Murdoch, how hey. are you? Oh, great. Thank you. Have you been dreaming? You know, it's been a, a time of not much dreaming lately. Not but when dreaming. I do, I'll really dream. But yeah, yeah. Silent. And there, are, there maybe are seasons. John Paul Jackson. Now, this is Christian television. Do you dream? Oh, well, I think this has been a season where I haven't. Well, am I supposed to? total distraction and again the major premise behind all this oh you are so important you are god's oh the apple of his eye you know are you dreaming still i'm still dreaming (laughs) yes i am every night so so what about that cindy saying she's had a little season where there's she's not dreaming as much does that happen sometimes that happens and lots of times it, it can be traced right back to stress in our lives or circumstances that are that are very difficult that we're going through we're having we we focus on certain issues and uh it's like we get we get 
fixed on those those problematic yeah. things. Yeah. And so our dream our dreams or our night's sleep will be restless. So whenever you toss a turn, it usually interrupts the sleep yeah. pattern. So would that affect Dorothy's dreams years ago oh, yeah. when she was in a difficult marriage? Well, especially I perked up. I heard when she was talking about having nightmares, and then they switched to sleep to sweet mm-hmm. dreams, but yeah. not many not many lately. The stress issues play a lot into that. But yeah. at the same time, the spiritual world you'll you'll pick up on in your dreams. And so if you're going through a very difficult time, you'll see the spirits that are acting in the other people around you. Well, you have sent in your dreams. Yes, you have via Facebook and email hundreds of them. (laughs) We literally have received hundreds. So today we're going to take a look at some of your dreams. With the help of John Paul Jackson, we'll find out what God is saying to you. Our first dream, this is so neat. Actually, this just came um, this morning from... uh, Danielle in California. I thought it was kind of a neat dream. And so, Danielle, I hope that you love the fact John Paul's going to interpret your dream. She said, in my dream, um, I was standing in a bedroom and I saw three coats on hangers hanging up. The next scene showed all the coats laid out on the bed where I could see each one individually. The first coat was a familiar coat that I remember wearing a while ago. The second coat was a coat that did look familiar, but it had a new look to it, a little of the old and new together. The third coat was a new coat I'd never seen before. This one was very tailored, made for me, and it had embellishments and rhinestones upon it. It was one of a kind and beautiful. So once I looked at all three of them in the dream, I thought to myself that I couldn't wait to try on and use each coat for different occasions. I was very excited. I have many more dreams, but I wanted to share this one. That's a great dream. Oh, yeah. I figured it was. Yeah, Danielle, that's, <laughs> that's really, good, really a very good dream. You got dream a good name you. too, Danielle. <laughs> it, it, it basically says you're going to, you're going through a time of transition, Danielle. And the time of transition is going from, from one type of anointing to another to another. Hmm. So you have three different coats. Again, notice the premise. Oh, you are super de duper important. You're going to go from one type of anointing to another. So coats represent anointings, apparently. Coats speak of times of anointing or things that God has gifted you to do. So you had one coat that you had seen historically. One coat that you kind of wore but kind of didn't, and one coat, one coat you'd never put on before. So it speaks of the past, what you'd been doing, the present, what you are doing, the future, and what you're going to do. And it's interesting that the very last coat that you, you, you talked about was one that was perfectly tailored for you. You didn't mention that about the other coats. Sometimes what we remember in dreams, even though the other coats may have been, but because you didn't mention them, what we remember in dreams is particularly germane to the very focus of what the dream is about. So the Lord's letting you know there's something he's called you to do. You've yet to put it on. You're maybe a little bit hesitant to do that or have been, but because you put the coats on the bed, it says, it's it's the Lord saying to you, I want you to rest in this. Uh Yeah, so... Now, is this really pointing us to Christ? Does this help us as disciples of Jesus to grow in our understanding of God, his word, sound biblical doctrine? This sounds the exact opposite of what Christian disciples are supposed to be focusing on to me. But I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. But let's hear, hear another one of these. Is this Christian fortune telling? What is this? What you have done, what you are doing, has all been by my design what you're going to do is also by my design, and it will be perfectly tailored for you. So, Danielle, great dream. Put the coat on. Yeah. All right, we're going to read some more dreams. But while you were sharing that, I really felt Holy Spirit say that there's someone watching that's had a particular dream, and the Lord's shown you 
what this dream is. So I don't know what that is. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Listen to her. <laughs> I love it. Some, yeah, I, I felt like somebody actually had a dream that you would read today or something would happen where we would hear this. And it's a dream about your mother walking. And so notice here, now we're getting direct revelation from God, the Holy Spirit, you know, prophetic words of, you know, something here. <clears throat> and we continue. You think it's just a dream, but it is a reality. It, you think it was a dream, but it's actually a night vision. And the Lord is, is going to do something. The key to the walking has to do with your brother's arrival. So there's something about your brother's arrival that will start the impetus of your mother walking. I don't know whether it's an event that will happen or whether it's, it is God touching her at that moment. But it's a dream you had about your mother walking when your, when your brother arrived. It, this sounds like a Miss Chloe reading. You know what I mean? It had to do with his arrival. And I want to encourage you that it really was God and you really need to believe and have faith for that moment to happen. All right. Oh, I love that. All right, Dorothy. Okay, this is from Anitria. She says, I had a dream that my 13-year-old son was laying on the floor under a blanket. He was decomposed to the point of being unnoticeable. His hand was sticking out from under the blanket, and it was the size of a baby's hand. The next thing I noticed, I was walking to a doorway. My back was to him, and when I turned around, he was sitting on the couch back to normal, and he was so happy. I then began to praise God. Hmm. That's really good. You begin to praise, you begin to praise God. It's letting you know that, that your son's about to go through a very difficult time not to give up. He's going to try to hide the problems that he has. That's the blanket that, that you see over him. He's going to try to hide the problem. He, he will seem to revert back to doing childish things, childish tendencies, not meaning that he uh, becomes a child, but you know, sometimes in life we act like a 15-year-old when we're 30, or we act like a 5-year-old when we're, when we're 40. Uh, I've seen those type of things happen. And so the Lord is just letting you know, don't lose. Yeah, I've seen that happen from the stage of seeker-driven churches, <clears throat> too. Lose faith that when this difficult time comes to your son, that it is, a, it is he will restore your son. Things will be okay with your son. It also means that you should pray for your son so that this time frame under the blanket is as short as possible. And don't lose hope when you see life draining what seems to be like his life, his, his energy or his like maybe life force, the spirit of, of, the, of the boy. Uh, kind of leaving him or he's not the same child that he used to be. Don't lose faith. Remember this dream. God's saying, I will restore your son. Usually. All right. <clears throat> you get the point. I mean, this to me sounds like Christian fortune telling, which by the way, there is no such thing as Christian fortune telling. I'd like to read a passage for you from Colossians chapter two. I'll start at verse 16. It says, therefore, do not let, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. 
So 18 and 19 are the verses to key in. Let no one disqualify you, disqualify you going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason and not holding fast to the head. And that is Christ. And that's who gets lost in all of this. You see, the basic presupposition of these people is, is that, oh, you are somebody special. And that, you know, listen, these dreams you're having, that, that's God talking to you. And I can, I can read your fortune. It's, you know, so rather than reading tea leaves or uh, the spilled guts of a small animal, what they're doing is, is they're, you know, so, you know, going through the tea leaves of their so-called dreams and visions. But <clears throat> that's, not exact, that's not what's going on here. I'd also point you to Jude. I'll start at verse 5. And here's what it says. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterwards, destroyed those who did not believe. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but he let the bet left their proper dwelling. He is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of fire or eternal fire, yet... In like manner, these people, these false brothers who've crept in among them that he's warning them about, he says that they, they, they're known for what? Relying on their dreams, defiling the flesh, rejecting authority, blaspheming the glorious ones. So you got Colossians chapter 2, 18 and 19, and Jude verse 8, you know, warning us about people like this. This is the kind of stuff that doesn't point us to Christ, that separates you from the head who is Christ, and has you going on and on and on about th- nonsense, rather than you properly understanding and reading and marking God's Word. You get what I'm saying. Okay, I'm going to move on. This next segment I do not have update music for, but what we're going to be listening to, I, I want to point out the uh, biblical principle to you in proper hermeneutic fashion, if you would, um, the idea of Scripture interprets Scripture. And we'll start with a bad example. Number one, we have a woman who who clearly is not qualified to teach the Word of God. We're going to have her listen to her read a text, make a point, and make a couple of points, and then, you know, and we'll point, when we get to her main point regarding this text, we're going to point out the fact that she doesn't know how to rightly handle God's word because she's not pointing us to the right thing in this text. But the embarrassing thing for any of those seeker-driven types out there listening is is that there's going to be more scripture you're going to hear from this woman. Her name is Dr. Gloria White Hammond. Um, Then you you hear from, you know, a seeker-driven pastor in more than a month. But so without any further ado, here's uh, Dr. Gloria White Hammond talking about how big is your butt. Yeah, I know it's a horrible name, but... Let's get going. Here we go. So there again is a word from the Lord. I'm going to ask that you would turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Numbers in chapter 13, verses 26 through 33. We've been talking about a journey to wholeness, and we encounter in this passage some other people who are on a journey It's a familiar text of the brothers having returned from spying out the land, and they come to give their report. So Numbers chapter 13, verse 26 declares, Then they came back to Moses and Aaron, and the whole Israelite community... Okay, now I'm going to pause right there. 
Notice where she begins. Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. And it basically starts with, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh. Who's they? So already we got a problem. When somebody's teaching you a biblical passage and they're going to start two-thirds of the way through a story, you're not. There's the chances of you properly understanding what this text is about are slim to none. Um, so we, we, here we got a problem. This is all part of a bigger story. This is the story of God sending the 12 spies into Cana to spy it out, right? And 10 came back with a bad report and 2 came back with a good report. That's what this text is about. But she starts like two-thirds of the way through the story. Now they've already come back. And it's like, oh, man. And and by the way, there's a whole lot more to this than what she's going to be reading. She's lopping off whole sections of it. This doesn't make any sense. When you watch a movie, do you start a third of the way or two-thirds of the way through the movie and expect that you're going to understand what's going on? No. So already we've got a bad Bible-twisting technique, and that is is that not paying any attention to the historical context of the story being taught and just lopping off the parts that don't fit you know the message that you want to bring so you know who's in charge of the message here not the word of god because it's being manipulated uh, well it's uh, dr gloria white hammond who's in charge of the message but we continue at kadesh in the desert of paran there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land they gave moses this account we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, tell someone but. but. Tell somebody else but. but. The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said... We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But, tell somebody, but. But but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people. So tell someone, all the people. We saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very, very 
very large. As you take your seats, I'm going to ask that you would pray with me this evening. And I'm going to just turn to somebody, somebody, you, just the person next to them. And just pose this question. Ready? How big is your butt? Yeah, um, so how big is your butt? So this is the, this question is posed to basically, you know, what she thinks get to the heart of this text. She's not far off, but she's far enough off. And obviously this is a shocking uh, double entendre, you know, to be <clears throat> using in a church setting. Let me play this out a little bit more. somebody else. I dare you to turn to somebody else. So I'm not trying to get in your business, but I just want to know how big is your butt? How big is your butt? Now, I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. She's going to basically, from here, launch into describing what are called watershed moments. And she's going to you know, basically give several watershed moments from history to kind of flesh out the concept of a watershed moment. And then explain to us how this, here in Numbers 13, is a watershed moment. True. True enough, it is. But, I'm not trying to be funny there. But the problem is, is that she doesn't understand what the, the core problem is in the story of the spies in, going into Canaan. Why is it that 10 spies gave a bad report? Why? What was their deficiency? Well, Scripture tells us this, but I'm not going to give you the passage yet. And we're going to use a, a hermeneutical principle known as Scripture, use, uh, interpret Scripture. Here's the idea. Um, the, those cross-reference cross-references in your Bible are mucho importante. Um, and when you're, if anybody is going to aspire to be a preacher or a teacher in in Christ's church, any of you guys out there who aspire to be preachers and teachers in Christ's church, it's important. Number one, you need to know the book really well the Bible, really well. You need to be a serious student of God's Word. And part of that involves noting how God's Word in other sections of the texts, other books, give us the interpretive key to understanding certain passages. No less the case with this thing regarding Numbers 13. But I'm going to fast forward a little bit so that you can hear what her, what she thinks is what's going on here and I'll explain to you using Scripture, interpret Scripture, to demonstrate this is not at all what's going on here. She's missed the point, and she shouldn't be teaching anyway, because God's Word does not permit this. But we continue. In this text, we encounter the Hebrew slaves at a watershed moment. Having made that epic Exodus from Egypt. 
having gone through the Red Sea, having endured the difficulty of what Moses called that dreadful desert, they are now encamped on Canaan's borders. They're poised to enter into the promised land. The 12 spies had been sent out to do reconnaissance on the land that God had promised was full of milk and honey. And now they've come back and they've called a press conference to give their report. And so all the people gather anxiously waiting to hear about this amazing land about which the Lord had told them. And and so they said in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's a good land, but a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, but a land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees. But there are pomegranates aplenty and olive oil in abundance. Can't you just imagine the electricity as people are imagining getting some food other than manna? So the spies continue. It's a land where bread will not be scarce and we will never lack anything. But a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. But, 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 but. Now notice she does a better job here than... (laughs) like 99% of the seeker-driven guys, to actually create the impression that she's doing an exegetical work. She's actually trying to do an exegetical sermon. Those guys don't even try. She's trying, but she's still going to fall short. We continue. But the people who live there, they're like giants, and they're powerful And the cities are very large and they're like fortified. It was a watershed moment. A moment in which the 10 spies saw what seemed to be overwhelming circumstances. And so they caved into a bully called fear and they blinked. Okay, they caved into a bully called fear. So there's the problem. They caved into a bully called fear. She's now personified fear. That's not the problem that Scripture says is the problem. And as a result of the fact that she hasn't correctly identified the problem, the rest of her message is a problem. And it's already been problematic. But again, you got to give her props. At least she's trying to do an exegetical sermon. Seeker-driven guys don't even try anymore. We continue. They closed their eyes and suddenly they just dismissed God's promises and they disrespected 
his sovereignty. And when they open up their eyes, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And imagine that everybody else saw them the same way. It was a watershed moment. And the rest is history. Despite the protests of the marginalized minority, Caleb and Joshua, the majority report prevailed. The Israelites, while no longer enslaved to the Egyptians, were now enslaved to the bully called fear. Enslaved to the bully called fear. No, that's not what's going on here. And this is what I know for sure. Oprah says, what do you know for sure? This is what I know for sure. After 40 years of counseling with all kinds of women, And after more than 60 years of being a woman myself, I am persuaded that there is no other bully that has a grip as deadly as the icy grip of fear. No other bully has punched out more visions, beat up more dreams. Punched out. So the bully fear has punched out more visions. Tackled more hopes, smothered more yearnings, strangled more callings, or literally taken out more lives than the bully called fear. Mm, So this is all about that bully called fear. How did she come to this conclusion, by the way? Well, she's a counselor. This is she does counseling for a living. Based upon her experiences as a counselor, she's come to the conclusion that ah, we're dealing with a psychological problem. A problem of kowtowing to a bully called fear. But is that really what's going on in this text? Is this text really all about fear? Well, now comes the punchline. If you kept your Bible open, then your Bible is already opened up to the book of Jude. If you haven't kept it open, open up to the book of Jude. I'm going to start at verse 5, and here's what the text says. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Yeah. Take a look at that. Jude verse 5 is a very important passage of Scripture. Very important passage of Scripture. Now, if you have uh, some of the older, newer uh, English translations, they don't have the reading Jesus. So this is where textual criticism really helps. Okay, Some of the earliest manuscripts that we've recently discovered don't say Lord there. They say Jesus. The earliest manuscripts identify exactly who it is that rescued the people of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. It wasn't just the generic Lord. It was Jesus himself. Let me read that again. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, 
who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. The problem in Numbers chapter 13 and the problem with the children of Israel in their wilderness wanderings is not that they kowtowed to the bully fear and had their dreams and visions knocked out. It's that they didn't believe. They didn't trust. They did not have faith in God. They thought ill of God. They believed and constantly complained that God had taken them out into the wilderness and out of slavery in order to kill them. That's what their their constant uh, complaint was. Oh, if only we were back in Egypt to where they had meat pots. But the Lord has brought us out into the wilderness so that we should die out here. <laughs> and Jude verse 5 says the problem is unbelief. And the difference between what Jude verse 5 says and what we're listening to or have been listening to by Dr. Gloria White Hammond is the difference between truth and error. And her error is off by just enough degrees that she misses the whole point. And if you miss the whole point that this is about faith versus unbelief, why is it that the ten spies brought back a bad report, and two of them brought back a good report? Because ten of them did not believe. Two of them did. It's that simple. It's not that they kowtowed to fear, okay? It's that they had faith in Christ, the one who saved them out of Egypt. So that's just an example of the importance of the hermeneutical principle of Scripture interpreting Scripture. That is exactly why your study Bible with the with the you know cross references. Those cross references are worth their weight in gold if you know how to use them. Those cross references will help you get you know how to understand what the Bible is saying because oftentimes the Bible talks about other passages within its within its uh, leaves. It, and when it does so, it's it's giving us the interpretation of passages. Oftentimes, Old Testament passages are word for word interpreted for us theologically in the New. And if you don't know that, then you don't know how to use Scripture interpreting Scripture. And if you don't know how to let Scripture interpret Scripture, well, then you oftentimes find yourself giving false information and missing the whole point of a passage and not correctly understanding what the real problem is and instead rely upon your experiences and your, you know, whatever's dreams, visions, experiences in order to try to figure out what a text is about. But when you do that, nine ninety nine times out of 100 times, you're going to swing and miss. You're not going to get it right. Something to think about. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to a sermon from Sophia Barrett of Audacious Church entitled, I Am Significant. Talk about missing the point of Scripture. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... 
you're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, try to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted two tin cans and a string. It's one of those communicated devicey thingies. Now you can talk to your friends of a long... Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Now, notice all the segments that uh, we've done so far all assume, well, you are somebody super important. Not that Christ is important. You are. So now you're going to hear the major premise of these sermons being stated very clearly. Let's do this right. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's um, sermon comes to us via Audacious Church in Manchester in the United Kingdom. Sophia Barrett presiding. The name of said sermon is entitled, I Am Significant. Yeah, you know, I just recall somewhere in the Bible there being passages that say the one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think Jesus may have said that. Well, this takes that concept and flips it on its head. Apparently, you know, now Christianity is all about affirming and proclaiming how important and significant you are and how threatened by you the devil is. Yeah, it's 
a terribly awful me- message that utterly misses the point of Scripture. And what you're going to hear is not Christianity, nor is this the central message of Christianity. It's not even one of the themes of Christianity. This is a different religion. This is a religion that focuses you on you and causes you to be a lover of yourself, to get all enamored with you, rather than you being brought to penitence and being humbled before God because of his law and your transgressions and then trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins. This is a completely different message. So let me go ahead and kill the music. And without any further ado, here is Sophia Barrett of uh, Audacious Church, Manchester in the U.K., talking about how I am significant. Mm-hmm. Here we go. This message was recorded live at Audacious Church, Manchester, UK. For more information or to purchase resource online, go to www.audaciouschurch.com. Father, come and have your way in this place. We commit the next half hour or so to you, and we just say, yeah, come and do what you need to do. Let every heart be open. Lord, we want to be significant people in your kingdom. We want to do significant things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Awesome. Just give me a wave if you weren't here this morning. Nice to see you. Welcome. Um, get the podcast. Definitely. I will be, um, I will be recapping, but in no way... Um, giving the detail of what I gave this morning. But really what we felt this morning is that God was not done and that uh, we needed to give an opportunity really for... What we felt this morning? What we felt? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, the job of a pastor, by the way, is to preach the word. We're not getting that now, are we? The Holy Spirit to come and do his work in and through people's lives. Give people... um, the opportunity to respond to the word, especially when it's a now word of God. When there is a now word of God, there is a now moment to respond. So it's not a biblical word of God. It's a now word of God, you know, which means she's just going to be speaking, shooting from the hip, you know, and those will be now words from God. You know, you can respond, you know, well, I'll just respond in, in a week's time or I'll respond in two weeks time or in a month's time. It's not. There's a window. There's a window of response, so I really encourage you. Right now, make a decision that I'm going to respond to God. Whatever it is, I'm going to respond to God. Now, the reason, the way I started this morning is with Ephesians 5, and it says um, in verse 14, this is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which I looked up this afternoon, what that means, so I got it right, and that means excess, excess of sensual uh, desires and stuff like that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then in the the chapter earlier, it says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. You see, the enemy knows... Now, don't you think it's foolish that a woman is preaching? Because God's Word specifically says no to this. Mm -hmm. We continue. That you are significant. And that is why 
high. He will do whatever it takes in order to get you unfocused, to get you to compromise. To- now, I'm going to back that up because I want you to hear it in context without my interruption. Listen again. You see, the enemy knows that you are significant. Mm, the enemy knows I'm significant. Really? I was born dead in trespasses and sins and in bondage to sin, death, and the devil. Totally stone-cold, spiritually dead. And you're saying that, that the devil knows I'm significant. I was born in slavery to him. And Christ is the one who has rescued me and set me free from bondage to him. It, I, think, I think the devil is far more concerned about Jesus than he is about me. Because, see, in this lifetime, I still have my sinful flesh to contend with. That the devil knows how to, well, tempt me. And so I have to pray daily, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. That doesn't sound like I'm significant. It sounds like Jesus is significant. And without his strength, without Christ's aid and assistance, without him protecting me, that I'm going to become ensnared uh, and, uh, and fall to the devil's temptations. That's why daily I pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, for thine is the kingdom. Are you familiar with that? So I don't see anywhere in Scripture a passage that says the devil knows I'm significant. I know the devil knows Christ is significant, and I pray to Christ because I know he's significant, and he's the only one who makes it even possible for me to be able to not give in to the devil's temptations. So this is focusing on exactly the wrong person. And that is why he will do whatever it takes in order to get you unfocused, to get you to compromise, to get you to relax on certain standards, to get you to go down roads that are going to lead to death and not to life. He will do whatever it is. He knows, they know, it's like, you know, the enemy knows where your weak points are. And what he will do is that he will try to attack the God word inside you because he knows that if he can attack the God word inside you that it's going to have repercussions in your life. Uh, Okay, so the devil's going to attack the God word inside me. What are you talking about? Where in the Bible does it say the devil's going to attack the God word inside me? Where does it talk about the God word inside me? What kind of mythological nonsense is this? We are significant people. And all too often, we as people, um, we give up what God has done or what God has given us and the incredible God life that we have in exchange for temporary satisfaction. Just, you know, an itch that needs scratching. That's the best way that I can put it. It can be that you're hungry for something or that it can be uh, that you're ambitious for something or it can be that you're frustrated about something. It can be that you're lonely. It can be, it can be all sorts of things, longings of the heart that we go for a temporary or an immediate satisfaction or a physical satisfaction and then give up the eternal joy, peace and love and grace that, that God has given us. So if only you knew how important you were, you wouldn't be giving in to these temptations because you're so significant. That's why the devil's trying to attack you. You would stop sinning altogether if you just realized how significant you were. But the Bible is very clear 
that we are significant people. The thing is, why, why do we do that? Why do we do, make those choices? Why do we give up so much? And it's usually because we don't realize that we're significant. We think this is just my life. This is my now. These ah, are- so the pro- see, the reason why you're sinning so much, you just don't know how important you are. Is that what the Bible says anywhere? Answer, not one verse says this nonsense. These are my desires. This is just where I'm at. These are my needs. I have needs right now. And we don't realize that we have a part to play in eternity. This is what God says to Abraham. God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is in chapter 22. And the sand of the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations on earth, all the nations on earth will be blessed because... Yeah, this is a prophecy regarding Jesus. How was, how were all the nations blessed through Abraham? Through Christ. That's what was being talked about here. It's not talking about me. It's not talking about you. That's talking about Jesus. And I'll prove it to you using that same hermeneutical technique that we used in the last hour. Scripture interprets Scripture. Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture here. Who was the promise made to? Well, we'll take a look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 16. Here's what it says. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Okay, so there you go. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that this promise about the offspring who would bless the world and all that kind of stuff, that was a promise regarding Jesus. Well, let's see what Sophia Barrett is doing with this. You have obeyed me. There's this concept that God puts a nation in people. He puts a nation inside us. That it's not just us, but there's actually a nation. Really? So God's putting a nation inside me? You're taking this passage, which is a prophecy regarding Jesus, and it's fulfilled in Jesus, and saying, oh, this is teaching the principle that God puts a nation inside of you. This is utter nonsense, demonstrating that you are doubly disqualified, Sophia, from, pre- from preaching in Christ's church. Number one, you're a woman. Number two, you have no clue what the texts actually say and teach. Nation inside us. And through Jesus, through Jesus, we actually become part of the offspring of Abraham. We become part of his seed. Therefore, we come, become part of the promise that God has given to Abraham. That we will be a blessing to the nations. Through Jesus. No, Jesus is the blessing. Says we are a blessing to the nations. We are significant. And if the enemy can, can kind of cut us short, if the enemy can make us be short-sighted and think and believe the lie that we are insignificant, believe the lie that it doesn't matter how we live, then he can actually affect generations to come. And so my encouragement is understand that you are significant. Understand that... There is more to your life than just you. Understand that your life 
is yours. Yes, you have a choice how you live. You have a choice what you do. You have a choice what you do in private. But it's not just yours. That there is actually a nation inside each and every one of us. There's actually... No, there is not. Actually generations in each and every one of us. And the way you live is the inheritance that you leave behind. And this is significant. You know, in the Bible, it's almost like we're part of a divine relay race. Now imagine a relay race. Imagine. So it's almost like we're part of a divine relay race. Where does it talk about that divine relay race again in the Bible that we're a part of? For a moment, Hebrews 11, when it talks about the heroes of faith, these are the runners that have gone before us. These are the runners that have run their race. And in faith, they lived. In faith, they believed. And they did all of that so that they could pass on the baton to us. Hebrews 12 says that they now become a cloud of witnesses, a stadium around us. That are urging us on, saying, come on, we ran our race, it's time for you to run your race. We we ran our race to the best of our ability, it's now time for you to run your race. Yeah, apparently they can't win unless we win or something. Yeah, um, you're not actually reading Hebrews 11 and 12 now, are you? And it's important how we live, and it's important how we run our race. Because if we don't run our race then it affects the runners that are coming after us. Our children and our children's children. It's important. Yeah, by the way, here's what Hebrews 11, uh, sorry, Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So, yeah, it doesn't say anything about this, uh, them passing the baton on to us or anything like that. Her... Uh, metaphor is actually not the biblical metaphor. She's twisted it. Important in a relay race how every single runner races. It's not just important how the last runner runs. What the other runners are supposed to do is position the last runner in the best possible position for them to win. So it is important how the first person runs. It's important how the second person runs. It's important how the third person runs. It's important how every single runner runs. And all too often we're saying, this is my life. These are my choices. This is my body. I can make choices for my own life. Nobody has the right to tell me how to live. I can do whatever I want. But that is not the case. Because it's not just your life, it belongs to a nation that's inside of you. And there is a great... So it's not just your life, it belongs to a nation inside of you. Could you imagine how miserable the world would be with the nation of Rosebro? Oh, man, I wouldn't want to live in that, in the world with that nation. Great cloud of witnesses that have invested interest in how you run. Because they don't win until you do. Forefathers do not win the race. They are not made perfect, the Bible says in Hebrews, until we finish the race. 
Um, again, chapter and verse, please. I'd like to see that passage uh, to double check it, but I'm not even familiar with the passage you're referring to. So, yeah, this this one's disqualified. The first runner doesn't win after he finishes his leg, does he? He's only done his part, but he's not going to receive a medal for doing his part. He will only receive his medal when the last runner runs. And it's his job to run in a fashion that positions the last runner in the best possible place, with the best possible advantage. But all too often, we give it up. We give up our race. Maybe we say, you know, I'm not running. I'm out of here. You know, because crisis comes. Difficulty comes. And we go, I'm out of here. You know, I don't want it to run in the first place. Or maybe we just get distracted by the cheering and by the lights and about what the commotion of what's going on around the race. And we walk off and we walk into somebody else's lane. Or we walk off and, you know, we start chatting to the crowd. And we don't realize that we had a job to do. Maybe we're looking at other runners and we want to run in their lane. And we're comparing ourselves to those runners. And all we can see is what they're doing and what we're not doing. And through comparison, we lose our focus. But it's important how you live. And the, the reason that we're here tonight is because that by, the, by the Holy Spirit, I just want to urge you to wake up. Wake up and understand what is actually happening. When you hit a crisis and when you hear, hit a difficulty... When you feel the challenge of life, whatever it may be, you got to understand that the enemy knows that you're significant. It's not just a conspiracy. You know, the world's against me. Everything's difficult. You know, I'm just a victim. No, it's about understanding that the enemy wants to take you out because he knows that if he can take you out, He's going to affect your children and your children's children. He's going to affect your sphere of influence. Yeah, my children were all born dead in trespasses and sins, too, because they are direct descendants of Adam and Eve. Yeah, Christ had to regenerate them. If he can make you believe that you are significant, that you are the king of your own life, that you can do whatever you want, that it doesn't matter what you watch online, it doesn't matter how you think, it doesn't matter how you behave, it doesn't matter what you do in private, then he knows that he's not just affecting your life, he's affecting the generations to come. He's taking you out. He's taking you out. So wake up. I was born taken out. So were you. Wake up and understand that you are significant because the enemy is so convinced of your significance. He understands the power that you wield in your choices. Really, the power I wield. I don't seem to have any of my power of my own because I daily pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. I, I recognize Christ is the one who has all the power, not me. And without him, I couldn't do a thing. Isn't there a passage that says, without him, we can do nothing? You familiar with that passage? I don't think Satan shakes in his boots about me. You have to understand that we can't live by excuses. You know, there's an, 
We are part of a nation. We're part of these forefathers that went before us. We're part of their nation. You know, God spoke to our forefathers in 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 the Bible. And he said, there's a nation in you. There are nations in you. There are nations in you. But I look back and I see that every single one of them had an excuse not to run. Every single one of them could have called victim, could have cried victim, could have cried no fair, could have cried this is not, this is not what I signed up for. Could have. Yeah, notice that the entire sermon thus far has the sappy music soundtrack behind the whole thing. Cried, this is, you know, why me? And yet, somehow, by the grace of God, they were able to persevere and run their race. You know, Moses, he was raised by a stranger. The, the person he called mother wasn't his mother. The person he called nanny was his mother. He had an excuse to say, I messed up. He murdered somebody thinking that he was doing the right thing. He was rejected by his own people. And he chose insignificance by running into the wilderness and hiding there. And all he was doing was just keeping his head low. All he was doing was just keeping his head He chose insignificance. Oh, man. Head down and keeping out of trouble. And yet God comes to him and says, no, you're significant. You see, I positioned you in that arena. I positioned you in that family. I positioned you in that place so that you could be a deliverer of a nation. Yeah, God is the one who delivered them. Um, hmm. Boy, this gets weirder by the minute. Where was this big, oh, your significant speech that God gave uh, Moses? I'm not familiar with that passage. Is it in Exodus? You know, Deuteronomy? You know, I don't recall it at all. I think he just made it up. Daniel is a prince, but he's in captivity. His people have been taken captive. And he could be crying out, I'm a, I'm a captive. I'm here. I've got no rights. But he doesn't. He becomes significant, even in the land of his captivity, and has incredible influence over a foreign... Isn't it? It doesn't the book of Daniel talk about how the Lord was with him? Yes. See, the Lord seems to be the significant one. Why is it that you keep talking about people being so important and just ignoring God? Any particular reason? Godless king. And then you've got people like Joseph. Joseph, who is rejected by his brothers. They want to kill him, but they don't. They instead put him into a pit. And then after a while, think, no, we're going to sell him as a slave. And then he gets sold into Potiphar's wife. I did it again. Potiphar's house as a slave. But he does, he understands that there's something in him that's significant. And he works hard. And he's trustworthy. And he keeps doing the right thing. And he keeps being honorable. And he keeps doing the the, in, the, the integral thing, the integrous thing. He keeps being who he is. And even when temptation came in, in the form of Potiphar's wife, who says, you know, hey, you know, nobody knows. Nobody will know. Nobody, no, my husband's not here. You know, I like you. Why don't you come to bed with me? 
He's like, I can't do this. That's not me. But he could have. He could have said, you know what? I deserve this. Do you know what? I have been handed a raw deal all my life. Do you know what? This is, why not? Why not? I've been sold as a slave. I've been put in, I've been rejected by my own family. Why not? Why can't I? Now, notice something. She's not actually telling us the story of Potiphar and uh, Potiphar's wife and Joseph. Let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ish- had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Who was with Joseph? The Lord was with Joseph. That's important. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw... Uh, that the Lord was with him. Notice it says that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. How is it that Joseph was so successful? The Lord caused everything to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, "'Lie with me.'" But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He has he is not is he he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, that's, I, I, that's all I'm going to read up, up, at this point. But let's see what Sophia does with this text, because she's not really teaching the text. She thinks she is, but she's not. We continue. I just get something. He could have said that. But he understands that he's significant. He understands that he, there are some things that he cannot do. And we cannot live by excuses. No, Joseph said that how could he do that wickedness and sin against the Lord. It doesn't say that, and Joseph realized that he was significant. He literally said to Potiphar's wife, no way, Jose, that's my <clears throat> uh, paraphrase, if you would, I can't do that wicked thing and sin against God that way. It wasn't that he said he was so significant, it's that he didn't want to sin against the Lord. Anymore. We can't live ex- by excuses because we're at a certain age. You know that as teenagers, you're supposed to, you know, throw, um, fall in love a hundred times a day. You're supposed to experiment. You're supposed to be rebellious. You know, you're supposed to do all these things. Really? Really? Or is there another reality that says that somebody who is a teenager can understand their significance? Who can understand who they are? can understand that there are certain things that are not available to them. You know, but you can say to me lots of things, and I've heard them all. You know, uh, my husband doesn't understand me. My husband doesn't understand me. You know, I haven't heard a kind word from my husband for such a long time. 
you know, we've just lived in a loveless marriage. And there's this man at work, and he's, he makes me feel good about myself. He tells me I'm beautiful. He compliments me all the time. And he always says to me, if I was your husband, oh, you know, I would love you every single day. And I would make you know how special you were every single day. Whew. That's hard to ward off. That's hard to fight off. You know, because it's your happiness, right? You've got longings, you've got needs. Or is there another reality that says that is not available to me? Because I know that I'm significant. How about that's not available to me because I know that that is a terrible and grievous sin. And how could I perform and do such wickedness and sin against God? Notice that's not the category she's operating in. Oh, it has nothing to do with the holiness of God. Nothing to do with God's commandments. Nothing to do with the fact that it's a sin. It's, oh, yes, he say, Satan's tempting because he knows how significant you are. I am significant because what I do, how I live, the choices I make, everything that I do is going to affect the nation that is inside of me. Every there isn't a nation inside of you. Genesis, <laughs> that Genesis passage isn't about you. It's about Christ. Everything that I do, everything that I don't do, everything that I think. It's not just what you do. It's what you think. It matters. It matters what you think about when you're intimate with your spouse. It matters what you think about. It matters who you think about. Because you're significant. And everything that you do, everything that you don't do, everything that you think, you leave a legacy for the nation that's inside you. You see some people in this place and you're carrying the legacy of your parents or maybe you're carrying the legacy of your grandparents it's in my family Soph. it's in my family maybe there's sickness it's part of your family maybe there's addiction it's part of your family maybe there's unfaithfulness it's part of your family maybe there's divorce and it's part of your family maybe there's mental health issues it's part of your family yeah, um, every family has sinners in it because we're all born dead in trespasses and sins as direct descendants of Adam and Eve. Are you familiar with this concept? You go, this is the legacy, this is the inheritance that I've received. But can I just say that because you are in Christ, Christ has made every provision for every need, for every sickness, for every disease. He has made provision for that. And whatever legacy that you have, from your biological family stops with you. It stops with you and then... Yeah, um, again, I am not that important. I do not have any power to set myself free from bondage to sin, death, and the devil. A new legacy opens up. It matters. It matters what you do in private. 
It matters what you think. It matters what you say. You cannot afford to lose it. You cannot afford to mess up. You cannot afford to lose control. You cannot afford. And the tragedy is that people listening to her have lost control, have lost it, have sinned grievously against God. She's not pointing them to Christ and his shed blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. She's not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. She's basically saying, you're so significant, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, You know, just realize how important you are so that you would stop making those dumb mistakes and, and don't give in to those temptations because those temptations are coming because you're so important. Rather than saying, yeah, you've sinned. You have transgressed God's law. Repent and be forgiven. Christ died even for that. The solution isn't the cross. The solution is your significance. My significance cannot save me from sin, nor can it give me even an ounce of energy needed to resist the temptations of the devil. To say it's my life, I do what I want, it's my needs. You cannot afford to do that because there is a generation and generations inside of you that are waiting for you, that are depending on you to run your race of faith. You are part of a relay race of faith. Your runners have gone before you, your forefathers have gone before you and they have carried the baton to you and say, believe. You can do it. You can live a life in Christ. You can live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. You can live a significant life. Because you are significant. Everything that you have will be passed on. What do you have that is being passed on? We're here to wake up. We're here to wake up and understand that we're significant. We're here to wake up and realize that we have a legacy that we are a part of, that we're a part of a nation, but it was also a nation inside of us. We have to wake up and understand that the enemy knows that you are significant and he will try and take you out. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand what... Again, what passage of scripture says this? Why am I having so much trouble? Why am I having financial difficulty? Why am I having so much relational issues? Why am I... Because you're you're significant. No, because you're a sinner. That's what scripture says. Understand. Understand that the enemy will use whatever he can in order to get the God word out of you. He wants your legacy. You thought you were important. You are, but not just because of you, but because of what you carry on the inside. Yeah, you carry a nation and the God word inside of you. I mean, who knew? And it's time we understand that we're significant. It's time we understand the challenges that we face for what they are. Because I will not. There are some things that are not on the table for you. They are not on the table. Can I speak to married couples in this place? There are certain things that are not on the table. There are certain doors that are not open to you. If you want to live a significant life in the kingdom, if you want to live a legacy for your children's children, you can say, but so it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. The love is gone. The feelings are gone. I understand. I understand that. But nothing is beyond the grace and the power and the goodness of God. Nothing is beyond his power to restore. Nothing. Can I get a 
away from people in this place. Amen to that. Anybody married in this place that it was, I was in a hard place, you could have walked away, but you didn't. Give me a wave. I know what that's like. I mean, Glenn and I, if I may. (laughs) Can we go there? You know, we've been in places where it was difficult. And I know what it's like to get into a place where I know that the feelings are just not there. Where all you see is failure. And all you see is the things that you don't like. And all you see, whenever you look at them, is what they're not. I know what that's like. But Glenn and I made a pact. We made a pact. See, I come from a, a family with, that has divorce in it. I come from marital dysfunction. That's my biological legacy, if you like. And I remember the panic that used to come over me that says, it's going to happen to me too. It's going to happen to me too. But Glenn and I, we made a pact and we say we never use the D word. It's not on the table. It's not on the table. Because there are stuff, there are doors that are not open to you. If we're going to have a life that is significant, if we're going to life, we have a life that leaves a legacy for our children and our children's children, if the biological legacy that we received stops here, there are certain things that are non-negotiable and they are not on the table. You've got to have to know what is not negotiable for you. You've got to know what the excuses are and that I will not use those excuses. Your abuse is not your excuse because Jesus has made a provision for every broken heart, for every broken soul, for every broken spirit, for every broken body. Yeah, um, can we talk about that provision? What exactly did Jesus do again? Why was he doing it? Um, Some biblical details might be nice. Your age is not an excuse. Your The Spirit of God has been given to you to empower you to do your race to the best of your ability to be significant in your lifetime. The Bible says that David served the purposes of God and then he died. You and I are here to serve the purposes of God to affect our nation and then we can go. There are things that are not negotiable. Can I share with you a a terrifying story? This will make your hairs curl. Hezekiah, King Hezekiah in Two Kings. He's a good king. He's a great king. He's doing good. Why do I feel like you're not actually going to tell the story? I just, so far you haven't actually told any biblical stories using the biblical text and actually reading and exegeting it. You know, there's that, there's that, that big medley of kings that, you know, so-and-so did, you know, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then the next king, you know, followed after 
the ways of his father David, and then you've got so you've got good kings, you've got bad kings, you've got good kings, you've got bad kings, you've got good kings. Well, Hezekiah's a good king. He's a good king. Something happens to Hezekiah. He gets sick. He gets really sick. He's about to, you know, to death kind of thing. This is this is bad. And the prophet comes and anyway, he comes and tells him the word of the Lord. He said, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. So he feels good about that. I would. I think I'm going to die and I'm not going to die. It's awesome. Then something happens to Hezekiah. And there were these guys from Babylon that come and they hear that he's been sick. And so they've come to kind of pay their respects, if you like. Anyway, Hezekiah is well now. And what he does, because pride has entered into Hezekiah. It's a very strange thing. He's done so well, all of his kingship. And then right at the end, he has a face as death, has a reprieve. And then pride comes. And he says, like, these envoys come. And he shows them everything. What he does is kind of like, you know, you want to come see my house? And he shows them all of his treasures and he shows them all of his riches and he shows them all of his armory and he shows them all of his strength and he shows them all of his might and all of his amazingness and there is nothing that he doesn't show them. And the prophet sees this and he says to him, as I said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. He says, who were those people? Before it gets to, he said, who are these people? He said, oh, they were from Babylon. What did you do? What did you show them? Oh, I showed them everything. I showed them everything. There isn't nothing that I didn't show them. And this is what Isaiah says to Hezekiah. Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your predecessors have um, stored up. Did you hear that? The time will surely come where everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs. Ouch! Eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word, This is what Hezekiah says, right? He's not, oh my goodness, that is horrendous. He's not thinking, this is terrible. Tell me what I can do. I don't know. I don't want my descendants to pay for my pride. I don't want my descendants to pay for the fact that I dropped my baton. I don't want my descendants to, to pay for the fact that I have just, you know, lost all of what my predecessors have stored up for me. I don't want to tell me what I can do. I mean, you think that would be a good response from a good king. But this is what he says to the prophet. He says... The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Hezekiah replied, and this is the killer. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Oh, this is good. Yeah, that's fine. I'm happy with your word. I'm happy with the fact that everything that my predecessors have stored up, all of my kingly riches, all of my inheritance is now going to be taken away. And all my descendants are going to become eunuchs in another land for another king. That sounds good to me because you know what? That does not affect me. 
It doesn't affect me and it doesn't affect my lifetime. What is that? I ask you, what is that? That is some sort of selfishness that is so despicable that I can't even imagine. But yet, that is the tendency. If we live with insignificance in our life, if we live with a victim mentality, if we live with an excuse mentality, that's exactly what we are saying. Now, I got to pause right there and make a note. And here's the note. And that is, is that she has correctly identified from 2 Kings chapter 20 that Hezekiah acted, well, despicably. It's exactly what he did. He was trusting in his own strength. And so if you read the passage and you understand what's going on, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 12, at that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, the king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed him and showed them all his treasure house, his silver, gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, and all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all of his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Okay, so... You know, and then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to them, to him, "What do these men say? And from where did they come to you?" And Hezekiah said, "They've come from a far country, from Babylon." He said, "What they, what have they seen in your house?" And Hezekiah answered, "Everything. And they have seen all that is in my house. There's nothing in my storehouse that I did not show them." Now here's the problem with this. This is similar to what David did when David took a census. And that is is that Hezekiah is showing that his trust is in his stuff rather than in his God. And at this time, this is you know what he was doing was you know trying to forge an alliance with Babylon, and uh, and so because the, you know, of Hezekiah's trust in his stuff, he then hears a word from the Lord of of judgment. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, "Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left," says the Lord. And so the irony here is the guy he's trying to you know forge an alliance with. They're the ones who are going to come and take everything. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's that's a. The, that's endangering the bloodline of the Messiah and the eternal king that's promised to David, right? And then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, Why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? So, yeah, I mean, this is one of those things. He's truly done something wrong, but here's the deal. You are not in the bloodline of the Messiah. Hezekiah was. You are not a king, Hezekiah is. Now we can learn something from his evil, from his trusting in his stuff and God's judgment and punishment. And, you know, and yes, we can learn something from this. But the lesson that Sophia is having us look to, well, this, the reason why she went to this passage, because it fits all the other twisted stuff that she's been teaching, right? There's a nation inside of you. You know, you, you are significant. Satan wants to take you out because you're so important. Yeah, and so she she's looking, to, you know, to Hezekiah because Hezekiah he's important. He's the king. So are you? You're important. You're just as, yeah. No, this is really off by a lot here. Really far astride of anything that really even resembles true biblical teaching. That is okay with me because it doesn't affect me in my lifetime, but it will affect my descendants. Because the truth is, God 
Now here comes some strong law. Yeah. Is the solution repentance and the forgiveness of sins? I don't think so. And we see in Hebrews that there is a sowing that you do not reap in your lifetime, but is reaped in the generations to come. So there is a sowing that you can do that you will not reap in this life. Yeah, uh, what's that passage again? I'd like to see you actually try to exegete it. But your children and their children's children. And if you have no children in this place, then your spiritual children, your sphere of influence. There is a massive nation in you. No, there isn't. But we do not want to be like Hezekiah that says it's okay as long as I don't pay for it. Someone's going to pay for it. Are you not familiar with the idea that the wages of sin is death? I mean, yeah, so, um, yeah, and the good news is this, that we don't pay for our sins. Christ paid for them for us. He reaped what we sowed. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Are you familiar with these concepts? God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. By his stripes we're healed. He's pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, that kind of stuff. The gospel is, is that we don't reap what we sow. All of that by God's grace and mercy as a free gift. Then again, church, if you sow faithfulness, if you sow faith, if you sow goodness, if you sow integrity, if you sow sacrifice, if you sow strength, if you sow, you know, um, laying your life down, for the cause of the gospel, that's what's going No, the gospel is that Christ laid his life down for us. This is so backwards. And see, that's the thing. When you think the Bible's about you and how important and significant you are, and it's all about you following the pattern of all of these significant people so that you can be significant like them and achieve your dream destiny like they achieve their dream destiny, you miss the whole point. The point of the Bible is Christ and what he's done to save you and me who are sinners completely incapable of freeing ourselves from, from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. Going to be reaped. The kingdom is going to be reaped in generations to come for your children and for your children's children. We're here to do the impossible. We are here to do the impossible. And the only way that that happens, because you, you might say, well, Sophie, you know, I, that's brilliant. I want to live a significant life. I want us to live it. Well, you know how that happens? It's through being filled with the Spirit. And it's not an easy thing. And where in the Bible does it say that you achieve uh, significance by being filled with the Spirit? I don't know that verse either. Because it's all about surrender. It's all about laying your life down and saying, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. I thought it's all about Christ laying his life down for us. Not my will, but your will be done. Even yeah, that's what Jesus did for us. That was his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even when it's tough, even when I don't want to, even when I wish I could do something else, even when my flesh is crying out to do something else and go down a road that leads me somewhere else, I'm going to say yes to you. Be filled with the Spirit. You see, something happened to Abram. See, Abram, when he was called of God to come to leave his country and to go into a, a land that he didn't know, and God gave him that promise. In chapter 17 of Genesis, there is something that happens to Abram. 
And he says to him in Genesis 17, he says, As for me, this is my covenant with you, God speaking to Abram. You will be a father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful and I will make nations of you. We're part of that. Uh, that promise is not made to us that way, no. We're making nations. He's making nations in him. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. God also said to Abraham, as for, your, for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call Sarai. Her name is Sarah. And I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her and I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations and kings will come from her. Put a in his name. And that was the difference. You see, he went from being an exalted father, Abram, meaning exalted father, to Abraham, the father of many nations. How do you become significant in your day? How do we become significant as a church? It's through the the breath of God. Uh-huh, yeah. So that's your proof text for the Spirit. Okay. Because we can't do this by ourselves. We're here to do the impossible. We're here to do what has never been seen before. We're here to do what cannot be done in the natural. Your life is a supernatural life, and it's only done with the the breath of God. Talk about delusions of grandeur. Yeah, that's the end of the sermon. Off by more than just a little, do you think? I mean, so far off that, you know, making it all about you and how significant you are rather than the head, Christ, and what he has done. He's the only one. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the king. He is the exalted son of God. He's the significant one. We were the ones born in trespasses and sins, and he is the author and perfecter of our faith and the one who redeemed us, purchased us, bought us, took us off the slave block and made us his sons and daughters, rebel sinners that we are. He's pardoned us in, in himself. And that's not who's being proclaimed. That's, I mean, after hearing a sermon like this, I mean, I can't wait to hear what praise songs are going to burble up from within these people. You know, they'll sing on a Sunday morning and talk about how, how significant I am. Ooh, you know, oh, I love to sing my name. Oh, I love to sing my praises, you know, things like that. Absolutely, utterly tragic. And what do these folks all have in common that we play today? The core premise is that the Bible is about you and you've got some major dream destiny. You've got to go change the world and and you're so important that Satan's trying to take you out and oh, and all that kind of stuff. Absolute narcissistic nonsense. You're a sinner. You need to repent and trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Scriptures are about Jesus. They are not about you. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carry death on the cross for all your sins. Amen. Amen.